Let me ask you a question. What does a Christian look like? Uh, depending on who you ask, you maybe have different ideas. Some people will maybe think Ned Flanders from The Simpsons. Some people might think Mother Teresa. Other people might think uh, people who are protesting uh, at pride uh, rallies or things like that there, as if Christians are people who are against things. Or you might say, well, my granny was a Christian, so that's what a Christian is to me, just my wee granny. But is there a singular way that we can describe what a Christian is like? Because if we're honest, there are some church denominations that will say, absolutely, yes, of course there's a way that we can describe what Christians are like. They, they will wear their hair a certain way. They will dress a certain way. They will talk a certain way. They will vote a certain way. And that's fine. That's what they believe, and that's what they're allowed to believe. But the truth is that Christians are not to be recognized by our brains or our dress code or our clever answers. <coughs> Excuse me. The evidence, or sorry, the way we're to be recognized is by our fruitfulness. And fruitfulness is basically just a biblical way of saying it's the proof that God is really in us. That is how we are to be recognized by the world. Think about it. God did not create just one type of plant or one type of flower. There are many unique, different kinds with colorings and aromas, characteristics and distinctiveness. All are alive. All are growing. All are beautiful in their own way. So if you were to ask me and say, well, what does a Christian look like? Or what is a Christian supposed to look like? I would say, well, Christians will vary as much as flowers in a garden. All different, all live, all vibrant, each distinctive. And I think it is the diversity of the church that allows the first message of the gospel to go out, which is everyone is welcome, whoever you are whether you're young, whether you're older, whether you are uh, on a big income or no income or in debt, whether you are healthy, whether you are sick, whether you are whatever your skin color, whatever your ethnicity, whatever your background happens to be, the, the, our, just the beautiful array of Christians lets you know that like, it doesn't matter who you are, all can come. Now, this whole series, Gardener's World, is loosely tied into gardening metaphors in the Bible. I'm not green-fingered in the least. It is certainly not my strong point. So, yeah, we will be talking about flowers and stuff, kind of to launch us in, into different things. But, you know, it is one of the most profound mysteries of my life and one of the greatest proofs of the goodness of God that Ruth and I have been able to keep two children alive now, and yet not a single flower can survive in our house at all. It is a profound mystery of the goodness of God. And so I just have to praise God for that. <laughs> but that's why we have so many plastic flowers in our house, to be honest with you. Uh, they look the part, they have the color, and you know, okay, but they lack the aroma. There's going to be no growth. But the truth is, very few people stop to smell the flowers anymore, so we get away with it. 
And I suppose that's maybe a good way of recapping what we've been looking at uh, so far in this series. We started with two messages in John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. And we looked at the contrast between real Christians and fake Christians who maybe look the part, who are in the right place, but aren't growing, aren't bearing fruit. We looked at how the flowers that are alive, they're growing and thriving, but the plastic ones get exposed if you look closely enough. Then last time out, we saw that as Christians who are alive in Christ and bearing fruit and and, and doing all those things that comes with naturally being born again, we start to produce this aroma that is pleasing to God. It's not about evangelism. It's not about anyone else. It's about how we relate to God and how we can walk in that confidence and it pleases God to see his children confident in him. Now, I want to move the focus on from that this morning because a flower that is bright, that is colorful, that is living will do more than just delight the gardener who planted it. But rather, these flowers will also, by their very nature, draw other life to themselves. And while our aroma is pleasing to God, that is first and foremost, we must also remember that the Great Commission is the single mission of our life by how we live, by how we perform as Christians, we draw others to us that we may point them to Christ. Now, it takes on many different forms. Oh. Can we go back one? There we go. That mission takes on many different forms because each of us have a different mission field. For some, it will be in our own homes. For others, it will be in our own streets. For others, it will be our workplaces, our sports teams, our friendship groups. Whatever happens to be, we all have this unique place. We have a different field, but we have the same mission. What is that mission? To let other people see in Jesus what we see in Jesus. I'm explain that to them. That's really the height of it. You can make it more complicated with other language if you want, but it really all boils down to that same thing. Can we get other people to see in Jesus what we see in Jesus? That's the goal. That's the mission. To let our spouse see it. To let our children see it. Parents see it. Our friends. Whoever it is that we spend time with, let them see the reality of Christ in us that they might see it and be hungry for it also in their own lives. So there has to be a beauty in our lives that draws people to that. And I think the variety of Christians, the variety of flowers in God's garden help that. Remember what I said at the start. God did not create a single type of flower with a single fragrance. The natural world is rich and varied and amazing, much like the church. It is full of different kinds of people who live out their lives for God in different ways, with different emphasis, but all with the same mission. Bear fruit. Be a sweeter aroma to God. Draw others to Christ. And you see a flower's fragrance is designed to attract certain creatures. And different flowers will attract different people. Some bees, others ants, some maybe even mice and different other creatures. And the idea is that it might have that process of pollination. Why is that important? Because that's how the seeds are sown. And that's how uh, we, it might multiply. Folks, the Great Commission is not to keep the message of Christ to ourselves and live in such a way that other people from a distance might look and say, isn't that life wonderful? Doesn't that look amazing? 
the idea of the Christian life is that we might have them join us in that work to make disciples, not create fans. So then how do we go about seeking to be more attractive to people who are not Christians? How do we make ourselves more attractive to the atheist, to the agnostic, to the party animal, to the hurt, to the disillusioned? What are we to look like to them? How do we become attractive to the world without losing that distinctive aroma that glorifies God? How do we go about that? One word, wisely. Wisely. We go about this with wisdom, and you'd be amazed at how many people get this wrong right off the bat. I guess the word wisdom would sum up everything that we're talking about this morning. Um, Whatever it is that you're doing, just think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Think about everything you're doing and how that will impact your ability to communicate the name of Jesus to the people around you. Think about it. Is this going to help me? Is this going to hinder me? Wisdom. Ephesians 5 says, Therefore, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Everything we do will impact how we communicate the gospel to the world around us. So we need to think about what we do. Remember back in the sort of late 90s, there was this kind of craze that took over, and all the Christians were wearing these WWJD bracelets. And there was, they kind of then took on a life of their own, and you had people like, and their whole arms were covered with all these different bracelets, frog, and uh, all these other kind of anacronyms of really cheesy lines that people used to come out with. But WWJD was the one that started it off. What would Jesus do? And the idea behind it was can we give people this physical reminder before they do something stupid, before they say something stupid? Well, hold on. What would Jesus do in this situation? Is it wise what you're about to do? Is this really the best way to go forward? See, Scripture tells us to not only avoid sin, but to avoid even the very appearance of sin in 1 Thessalonians. <coughs> Back one, please. Are you moving this or am I moving this? It's a life of its own. It really has a life of its own. Okay, we'll just stop right now, okay? Where where, where we're supposed to be. So verse 22 says, look, avoid the appearance of evil. But the verse before that, verse 21 says, prove it. Test these things. Have a look. It's, It's saying wisdom is thinking about the consequences of our actions. In other words, just because you think there aren't any consequences for you doesn't mean that there might not be consequences for other people. So think about it. Be careful about what other people are going to be seeing whenever you do something or say something or act in a certain way. Because we want to avoid even the very appearance of evil. Testing everything isn't just about what other people are teaching you. So often that's what that verse kind of gets taught as. Oh, now test test the preacher. Make sure you're, you're... critiquing what he says i hope you do that i do hope you critique what i'm saying because if i'm saying something you're going hold on that i don't think that's what the bible says then we should talk about it we should be able to say and say well let's examine it let's go deeper but it goes further than that as well because it's also saying 
what's coming out of my own mouth, what's coming out of my own heart, what's coming out of my own behavior, I need to test that as well. I need to critique that and run the filter through it as well because I need to make sure that I'm not giving people the wrong ideas about Jesus. I need to make sure I'm not giving people a, a, a sort of warped idea of who God is by how I conduct myself. Is my attitude here the right one? Or could I maybe do it differently? Can I do it better? Can I handle this better? That guy at work who I know is waiting to pounce on any mistake that I make, am I going to give him more ammunition here? Or how can I disarm him as best as I can? Is this comment or conversation something that I would want the young ones here down in the junior Bible class and the senior Bible class, how would I feel if I heard them saying the same things that I'm saying, coming out with the same jokes that I'm coming out with? Would I like that? Would that kind of make me sort of shrivel up inside a wee bit? Foolish people will say there is no verse that says that I can't do X, Y, or Z. And if there's no verse explicitly saying it, therefore I can do it, therefore I will do it, and you can't stop me. I'm not here to stop anyone. That's not my job. But wise people will say, okay, I can do it, but should I do it? Is that helpful? And that's where First Corinthians comes in. All things are lawful. He's talking to Christians who are kind of just going wild. He says, look, listen, absolutely, yes, you can do that. You can eat that, that food. You can do church this way. But listen, you're kind of causing difficulties for some of the other Christians who are still processing things. So, yeah, you can do it, but it's maybe not the best idea to be doing it. Certainly not in front of these other ones. So, so be careful. That's what Paul's saying, because in Corinthians, he actually calls the weaker Christians. They're the ones with all the rules and the regulations. He actually calls the legalists weaker Christians. You know, they know sometimes the people who have all the rules and regulations look down on everyone else. He says, well, no, no. Paul actually said, no. They're actually the weaker Christians because they need all this extra support around them. They can't enjoy the freedom of Christ. But he says to these people, he says, look, listen, you can do it. You're right, you can but you're causing trouble for people around you. So maybe it's better not to do it for their sake. Let love guide you more than your own freedoms. And so I love for people, don't do it. That's why he says to the Romans, each of us should please his neighbor for his good, build him up. It's not about what I want. How can I be a blessing to the people around me? That's the Christian heart. And that let me give you a personal example from my own heart um, this is not me getting up on a high horse or anything but this is just me explaining why I do things the way I do That those reasons are why I don't drink alcohol it's why I don't go near there isn't a verse that says you don't drink I've looked for it, it's not there there isn't a verse that says abstinence is the only way to do things it's not there but I chose back whenever I got involved in leading youth fellowship in my home church whenever I was 16, I made the decision back then I am not going to drink. Because I never wanted anyone to have even the smallest weapon to criticize me with. Now listen, you, you know me now, all right? There's plenty of real genuine character flaws to keep you going, all right? You don't need an extra one. But why would I give you an extra one? If I'm going to trip someone up, I don't want to go about doing it with something that I could easily have avoided. 
I don't want to create an opportunity to get myself caught up and make a mess of things. Um, if, if me doing something like that could give someone the slightest possibility of thinking less of Christ in me, or making me less distinctive for Christ than the world around me, or if it causes a, a Christian here in this church to be offended or, or to stumble or to get tripped up, then having a drink is a luxury that I can easily do without. Easily do without. And it would concern me if there was a Christian here who wouldn't be able to give it up as well. Because if you can't give something up for the sake of loving people around you, that might be an addiction. The inability to give it up, a refusal to give it up, sounds sounds like there's trouble there. So and it's not just alcohol. I mean, it could be anything. I mean, you could be addicted to a computer game or you could be addicted to uh, gambling or you could be addicted to, to any numbers of things, okay? So I'm not getting tied into one thing here. But the likes of even when I was on holiday there, we, we were all-inclusive, and so there was free drinks. I mean, I could have been drinking beer from 11 in the morning to 11 at night, free of charge, all day. Didn't go near it. Why? It wasn't because the Bible says that I can't. It's because I have decided that I'm going to discipline myself to not to. Because I want to be consistent in my character. Consistent in my character. I want to be the same way I am at home, in church, in the pulpit, as I am outside of the pulpit. Whether it's in Spain or in Croatia, or in any other country. I want to be consistent in my walk. I want to be consistent in my character. I want to avoid any appearance of hypocrisy. I want to avoid any appearance of being unwise or foolish, or anyone to say, oh, he's one way here, and he's a different way another way. And I don't want anyone to stumble over that. And it's in the consistency of character that I'm trying to be wise. The consistency of my character Yes, I have freedom to walk and talk and dress and socialize in a way that um, I'm adding extra rules onto my life that maybe I don't have to. But listen, if you care about the people around you and you care about their walk with God, think wisely. Think about what you're doing. Run it through the filters. Be consistent in your character. And use the freedom that we do have in Christ to make an opportunity to live out the gospel. And when you do, God will use you because when we go into into this verse here in First Thessalonians, the peace of God will sanctify you Sanctified means to be holy. Holy means to be set apart for God's use. I want to be holy. I want to be set apart for God to use me in any way that he can. I'm going to avoid any appearance of evil that maybe ties that down or limits that in any way. A very simple question to help you run that through the filter or whether you're going to win people for God or not. Are you actively thinking about how you're going to do it? Are you actively thinking about how you can win someone for Christ? 
Are you just hoping a conversation will happen? Are you hoping that somebody will just come up to you and say, hey, I noticed that you talk a certain way, but your Facebook posts are completely different. Let me, I would really want to know about this God that you kind of half-heartedly follow. Tell me a wee bit about your inconsistency, because let's be honest, how many times have you started to talk to someone and say, oh, Christians, they're hypocrites. <laughs> they're inconsistent. They say one thing and they do another. It would be so much easier to just take that out. Consistency. Remember the verse that says, in all that we do, whether we eat or drink, do it for the glory of God. And how we play our sport, and how we converse, and how we conduct ourselves with our boyfriend or with our girlfriend it is communicating what we think about the glory of God and the joy of God as the highest, most treasured thing in our lives. Be wise. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians verse five, uh, chapter 5, starting in verse 17. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and give us the ministry of reconciliation. Notice what God has done in us, he wants us to take that to other people. That God was himself, was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We therefore are God, Christ's ambassadors through God. Uh, though God were making his appeal through us, we are his ambassadors. We represent him. Everything that we do, everything we say, it is as if God is making his message to the world through us. So what are we saying? What are we saying with our lives? Are we consistent? Are we thinking about what we're saying with our lives? Be wise. You can win them with wisdom. And really, I mean, that could really sum it all up. Uh, I can't remember who said it. Maybe we should have looked it up. That, uh, that quote, The greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians. They confess Jesus with their mouth and deny him with their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Be wise. Win them with wisdom. Number two, we, wis- we win them with warmth. Imagine uh, a couple of kids playing in a playground or a park and they start climbing a couple of the trees. Okay, we've all done it. And then this wee uh, self-righteous nerd comes over and says, my daddy says we can't climb trees. So I'm not allowed to climb trees, therefore you're not allowed to climb trees. Now, what are those kids going to say to that little nerd? Maybe something that you can't repeat on a pulpit. When Christians go around and saying, my Father in heaven says, I'm not allowed to do that. Therefore, you're not allowed to do that. Is the reaction, why are we so surprised that the reaction is any different? Start cracking people over the head with Bible verses and get all offended because they're not doing what we say. But we've forgotten that our Father isn't their Father that are his words to us, they have no value in that. And many Christians are persecuted by the world, not because they're pursuing the glory of God, but because they're self-righteous, judgmental idiots who want to talk, but they don't want to listen. 
But listen to what Jesus says in Luke 6. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is to you? Even sinners do the same. For if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. You ever met a Christian who's always fighting with someone? They're horrible people. Uh, you don't like being around them because you're always waiting for whenever it's going to be your turn to be argued with or picked on. And they will always be complaining about someone or getting into arguments with people. And, you know, they'll always have this just cause that they're fighting and they'll always have some corner that they're uh, to fight. And you know what? Hand on heart, genuinely sometimes, very often, they will actually have a valid point to make. The problem is that in making the point, they fall out with everyone in the process. And nobody cares what they have to say because they've annoyed everyone. They've rubbed everyone up the wrong way. Take any episode of The Nolan Show, for example. You'll get a couple of people with strong opinions and then it's just a firefight. And there was a point somewhere at the start, but it's just like WrestleMania. Or you take any comment section on the internet or Facebook posts, and very quickly, whoever has the strongest opinions starts winding people up and frustrating people. And any hope of actually a Christian witness goes out the window with it. Causing fights and rubbing people, it's not the Christian way. We are to win people by our fruit. Remember the picture we started off with of the flowers being beautiful and attractive and drawing all their life to it? You don't argue people into heaven. You don't threaten them with damnation into heaven. It's not how it goes. We, we, We attract them in by the fruit that we produce. And that goes maybe against a lot of what constitutes modern day evangelism where it seems to be just protests and placards where really for people who are outside of the church it looks like we've just shown up to ruin everyone's day ask someone outside the church what a Christian looks like they'll either go for the Ned Flanders Mother Teresa kind of a thing or they'll think of a protester angry and shouty and spiteful and unloving in their behavior that is not how Christ did it yes he spoke the truth Yes, it rubbed people up their own way sometimes, but he always, always, always spoke that truth in love. In fact, Jesus said that it's by our love that people will actually know whether we're his disciples or not. Jesus being disciples says, look, there's this new commandment that I'm going to give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you're also to love one another. By this, all people not just the people inside the church, but all people will see that you, and know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And here's the thing. It is very hard for someone to hate you while you're loving them. They may not like everything that you say. They might, dis- they might disagree with you strongly with what you say. But they will not despise you when you're loving them. Whenever we go to people and they're not a project, they're not a target, 
They're not a statistic where we can crank up our numbers, but someone who's genuinely your friend, someone who you genuinely love, someone who you genuinely want to see succeed and do well and be happy for, you'll hear what they have to say, and they'll hear what you have to say. And like, you may not be able to debate them into heaven or guilt them into heaven, but they'll not be able to deny the difference that Christ makes in someone's life because they'll see it in you. So we win them with wisdom, we win them with warmth, and we win them with words. Proverbs 16 says, this is from the Good News Translation, a wise, mature person is known for his understanding. The more pleasant his words the more persuasive he is. I love that. I think that's brilliant. The more pleasant his words, the more persuasive he is. There's a famous quote by Francis of Assisi that says that we should preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. The problem is that there's absolutely zero record of Francis actually ever saying that. In fact, he was a prolific preacher. He very much believed in, in explaining the gospel with words. He saw words being very much necessary. Because it's simply impossible to explain the gospel without words. Paul says to the church in Rome, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Very simple logic, isn't it? People can't be expected just to put it all together just by watching you. The life we live is the proof it gives our words validity. But we need the words. It's like going to someone's house and they put on this amazing food down in front of you. And you recognize the meal. It's a meal that you've made yourself before many times, but it's something different that they've done. It's tastier. It's juicier. It, 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 it's, it's just a lot nicer. And then the pudding comes and it's cake. Well, we all like cake. We all enjoy cake. But then their cake is better. It's softer. It's lighter. It's, it's fresher. And you go, oh. That was absolutely delicious. Can I have your recipe? And they just stare back at you. Oh, was it, was it something in the sauce? Was it the cooking time? You've got to tell me, what, what's your secret? Oh, well, I don't want to say anything in case you ask me some, a really hard question about the recipe. And so you come away from their house thinking, why would they want to keep that to themselves? Was, did I offend them by asking? Did, why would they want, not want to tell me what makes it so good? And then you cut back to the host house and the cook turns to her husband or his wife and says, I'm so glad they got to taste my cooking. I'm sure they'll cook like me now that they've seen that it's possible. That was a really good opportunity that we took tonight to share cooking. And you think, no, that wouldn't work with recipes but we expect that that's how it's going to work with the gospel, that if we show them a richer, fuller, tastier life, they're somehow going to be able to reverse engineer all the ingredients without us actually telling them. Our life is the tasty dish that makes their mouth water, and we need to be able to talk through the recipe to them. Now, listen, it's not complicated arguments. If, if you didn't come to Christ with really complicated theological discussions, don't try to use that with other people. Use, use the recipe that you have. All right, Your experiences, what, what, what convinced you, what brought you to the place where you brought, said, okay, Jesus Christ, he's my savior, he's my Lord, he's everything. 
or however you ha- had revealed the, the, the surpassing worth of knowing him, right? Well, use that because you know that. That's your recipe that you know. So tell people to say, this is why my life is the way it is. Explain to them in your way how you have come to know him and trust him. And that's what the Apostle Paul did. This is how he, this is how he starts First Corinthians. He says, so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. I have resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says, I, I didn't try to make it more complicated than what it was. He says, here's what I know. He says, here's what I've shared. And look at Jesus heals a man who had been tormented by demons. And he wanted to come with him. And Jesus says, that, no, that's not how it's going to be. Verse 39 of Luke 8, he says, return to your home. Declare how much God has done for you. Go back and tell people your story. Don't use anyone else's story. Use your story. Let people see the difference that it has made in you. It is easy to decide that sharing the gospel is for pastors and for TV evangelists and it should be the professionals who do it. But the truth is, God has called all of us. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Go therefore make disciples of all nations. Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus said, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It is for all of us. He didn't say some of you. Sure, we all have different gifts. We all have different strengths. We're maybe more comfortable talking to different ones. But we're all comfortable talking to someone. There's always people in our life that we can open up to. There are people that we can have conversations with. And so we're called to be witnesses to them. Sharing the gospel can be intimidating. But once you overcome the initial fear and anxiety, it is incredibly rewarding. I wonder if you remember what it was like before you were saved. Think back to what it was like with your questions and sort of that gap between what you hoped life would be and what you were experiencing. Then remember what it felt like when you said yes to Jesus and that gap was filled and to overflowing. What it was like to have that burden lifted and that weight lifted and that trust and that calmness. Let that memory, let that that, that thought drive you and allow God to use you to rescue others. We are called to be beautiful flowers in God's garden, to draw others to us, and we will win them with wisdom, with our warmth, with our words. But win them we must. Let me just finish with Spurgeon's quote. It says, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap over, leap to hell over our bodies. If they'll perish, let them perish with their arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. It's not a spectator sport. Christians, we, by our very nature, are alive in Christ. By our nature, we are bearing fruit. By our nature, we are releasing a sweet aroma to God. That's what we've been covering already in, that ser- in this series. But the byproduct of that is when people see the fruit, when people see the flower, when people see the blossom, when people see the aroma, it draws people to us. And that's our calling, to win them for Christ, that they might see in Christ 
what we see in Christ. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful message that we have to share. Lord, it confuses me to think that such an important message would be entrusted to someone like me uh, who, who gets it wrong so often, who makes mistakes so often, and who, who tries to be consistent but isn't often very consistent. And yet, Lord, we have this message that you've given to us, this message of reconciliation as ambassadors for you. And that's an amazing honor. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be wise this week in how we live our lives, the conversations that we have and the things that we do. Um, Especially this week, Lord, whenever... um, Protestantism uh, and, and unionism often gets very confused with each other. Lord, I pray that we would be distinctive. Lord, I think of the verse, uh, especially whenever we see bands marching and they've got their flags and they've got their banners. And yet, that scripture it says, but the banner over me is love. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be known as consistent, loving Christians who are more than happy to share this wonderful message with those who would be wanting to know more. And Lord, I pray, give us opportunities this week. And I pray that uh, we rejoice in more people coming and joining us and and getting saved and knowing what it means to, to have Christ in us, to have that forgiveness, to have that gap filled to the point of overflowing. And so Lord, I pray that this would be our reality for your name's sake, for your glory. Amen. I'm going to ask John and the musicians to come and join me again up on the platform, and then we'll go straight on to a time of communion afterwards.